Hi, everyone. My name is Annie Kidd, and um, recently I had the opportunity to go on the Winter Youth Retreat, and I was asked to share a short testimony about my time on this trip. Now, this was this is my final um, <clears throat> my final retreat as a high school student, so it's a little bit emotional for me, but um, I'm pleased to say that it has been a very positive and a very um, spiritual moving experience. Um, the theme for the sermon series was creator over created. Now, this is just us putting, cho us choosing to put God over the things of this world. Oh, choosing God over the world that he has created and the things that man has created from his creation. Um, <clears throat> now, first, I chose to choose, take a book, take a page from Michael's way of preaching, choose three points <laughs> to talk about today. So my first point was that I feel really I took, a, I took away was the idea that we need to nurture our relationship with God. And I, I had this beautiful image in my head of us, uh, this, this Holy Spirit living in us as a little flower, a little bud, that we need to nurture it. And we nurture it through prayer, through fellowship with other believers, through going to church, through reading our Bibles, all things that we need to do to nurture that relationship with God. And um, <clears throat> that, that sometimes it's very easy to get into the ways of the world and saying, okay, God, I've, I've got this, especially going off to college thinking, okay, scholarships, transcripts, da-da-da-da, all this, all that. But slow down and realize that only on him can we find our true rest and our true peace. And so nurturing that relationship with God is the only way to feel that peace. <clears throat> Next point <laughs> was that um, I was showed how fun time alone with God can really be. Um, Jesse, I'm sorry. Um, during my time alone with God on this trip, I read through John 15 and dissected each and every verse, verse by verse, and got to know God more personally, which is something that I had never really realized was an issue for me, but was really brought to light that I don't know who Jesus was. I, you know, of course, of course I know who, <laughs> what he did, what he came here to do, but um, getting to know him more personally really humanizes him and allows us to have a more personal relationship with him. <clears throat> um, and I'm actively going to implement this into my life and seek to know him more personally as my savior. Um, my final point <laughs> is that we had a guest speaker named Jose who shared about how our relationships with God really look like, like what they really look like. Forget all of the jargon that we give them, but like, what is the truth about how relationships with God look like? So he asked us questions like, what is Jesus like? And what does Jesus like? And you know, when we think about it, like we think of very churchy answers, but we should be able to, to share with others about how our friend Jesus, what does Jesus like? What is Jesus like? This pushed me to see him as a person and not just as an abstract concept as I often fall into. Now, every moment of this weekend, I think, allowed me to see God as a person. And I must nurture the bud of my relationship with Jesus and, um, and to help it grow into the flower, into the fruit <laughs> that, that it needs to be. 
Um, I'm very thankful to have gone on this trip. I'm thankful to my family, to Jesse, Karina, Katie, and Ian, and everyone else who was on that trip, and everyone else who made it happen. Um, so thank you to everybody, and thank you for listening to me. So. All right, good morning, and we'll just go ahead and have the benediction and just call it a day, because that was pretty strong to get started with. Well, hi, my name is Bill. I'm one of the elders here at Encounter Church, and as Michael talked, it's 2024, whether you're ready for it or not, it's here, and this is the time where people make resolutions. Uh, you can always see all of the great, fun stats of the number of gym memberships that start in January and the parking lot is full. And you go a couple of weeks into January, and those start to fall down a little bit. And then sometime in February, the, the percentage of attribution is quite high, and then it just kind of gets lost in the mix. Or, you know, it happens in your own personal life. Whenever you say, oh, this is the year, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do something better. I'm going to do something more. I'm going to do something that's for my own good. And so I'm going to put these things out there. And as I was thinking about the sermon for today, because the past couple of years I always get to preach the first sermon of the year, I was thinking, well, what does that look like? And what does it look like when we make resolutions when they go in? I mean, in my world, in my life, a lot of my time, I I'm, have a very hyper-scheduled calendar. I have all these things that are there. I, 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 have, I make decisions all the time, and so I'm thinking, well, what do I do? How do I, how do I make these things work? How do, I, how do I put all this together? What clothes am I going to wear this morning? Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm going to go work outside. So I, that, that's a pretty easy one, putting those on. But I'm a guy, so if I want to look nice, I'll ask Melissa, what should I wear? Does this match? Is this something that you would be seen with me in public? You know, those kind of things that are there. I, I keep my calendar. It's, all, it's got everything on it. My calendar's got every appointment because I drive a lot during the day I go in. And in fact, my GPS is tied to my calendar. So it tells me, hey, it's time to leave if you want to get there on time because it knows traffic. It knows all these other things. I'm like, oh, man, this is great. It does all these things. So I, what I want to encourage you today is by the time we get done through this is what does it look like to make a resolution? And I'll tell you what my resolution is for this year is I want to trust God as much as I trust my GPS. And here's what I mean. We just took a trip uh, over Thanksgiving break. We took a trip down to Fort Lauderdale area uh, to some hotel that we'd never been to, a place we'd never been. I just plugged it into my GPS, blindly started driving. Wherever that thing told me, we would turn. It said, oh, take off here, take that exit, drive through some neighborhood. I don't know why. I'm sure it's routing me around some traffic or it's going to get me there 20 seconds faster than some other thing. I don't know why. I think there's some guy at Waze sometimes just like, watch this, and hits the button. If you ever want to see a fun a video, if you look a couple years ago when we had the solar eclipse and it was down around the Bowling Green area and everybody tried to leave, traffic was so, was so compacted, so dense, you can look at the traffic maps. As, uh, as Google Maps and these other GPSs were trying to route around traffic, and it looks like a bunch of lemmings. Like all these cars will go over here, and then it gets too much. And so all the cars go over here and get too much. All these things are there. And so I, I, I bring up this GPS because I, I don't ever question my GPS. I, my, now, we'll go someplace sometimes, and someone goes, oh, don't go that way. Go this way. Because what your GPS doesn't tell you is that, that's like a backcountry one-lane highway. I remember when our children were very young, we went to a cave someplace out in like Missouri area, and we took the GPS there, and I don't even think these were really roads that it took us on. I think they were more just kind of like glorified 
fire trails and different things like that. And when we got there, the people said, well, how did it go? I'm like, wow, yeah, it was a drive. And they go, oh, you put it in your GPS, didn't you? I said, well, yeah. And they're like, well, here's the way you want to go. Let's go back out here. And there's a highway, which was way better than just the rocks and the, and the off-roading that we had to do to get there. But I don't, I don't question it. And it, I don't know if you're one of the people that turns your GPS on. Mine tells me where to go all the time. Like I leave the voices on. So it'll say in 500 feet, turn right, do this. And so I don't even think about it. I just drive. I follow. I go. But I don't, I don't follow God that way all the time. I don't have that level of trust, that blindness of just, oh, I just want to go. And what's even worse, though, is I think sometimes when I do, I treat God like my GPS. I just tell him where I'm going and say, hey, would you tell me how to get there? And I don't really rely on him. And this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, shouldn't be something new. I think you've probably heard this. It may be on a, on a plaque in your house. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But from my world, when I read this a lot, what it really says is, God, I've made these plans. Would you bless them for me? Would you tell me how to get there to, with this destination I've set up? God, would you go ahead and make these paths straight? Because I know that this is what you have for me, and I'm ready to go. But that's not what this says, because what this really says is, God says, I know I have the plans for you. It's God speaking. This isn't saying that it's going to bless everything and everything is going to go, go great. It says, God says, I know I have plans for you. And in fact, oops, it says, declares the Lord. So God says these things. God says these things to us. I know the plans I have for you to prosper, to not to harm you, give you hope in a future. God's saying, hey, I'm on your side, but I, I have these things. But if I'm telling him where I'm going, if I tell him what my resolutions are, if I tell him what I want to do, I'm not really listening to the man and the father who is telling me these things. I'm telling him what I want to do and saying, hey, would you just come along with me? And so the goal of this is that the big idea is to seek God's direction for your best new year. And in fact, we could probably cross out half these words and just seek God's direction. Seek, seek God's direction for your best year. Just seeking God. All of these things. And that's what I want to unpack this morning here as we look at the, God's word throughout the, as he speaks to us, as he seeks us, and he wants us to seek after him. Well, what does that look like? And so as I was thinking about that Jeremiah verse and I was thinking about this resolution, I said, well, why, why don't I do that? What are those things? And there were three barriers that I came up with. And these, I think these apply to all of us. The very first thing is time. I, Annie talked about in her, in her testimony just at the beginning seeking time with God. You know, there was, a, there was a set time that Jesse and the folks that put together that retreat said, this is a time where you're going to go off. We're not going to bring anything else into this. We're going to set this time apart just for you to seek God. It was solitude, with quietness, with all these other things there, not with while you're watching Netflix and playing a game on your phone and cooking and, and. Yes, and we're going down to Egypt. All right. Second one, I think that stands in the way is precedent. I'm, I tell my kids all the time, I'm not nearly as smart as I think I am, but I'm just old. I've been around for a while. I've seen things. I've learned things. I've, I've been there before. You know, I was joking with Steve this morning. He said, oh, you're preaching? I'll just go home. I said, yeah, at least take a nap. So you've seen it, but you've seen this movie before. I've read that book before. I already know what's there. I know what happens when this is here. You know, it's the school of hard knocks that some of us grew up in of what does that look like? And then just in day-to-day -day life, 
what do these things look like? These precedents, those thinking that we have our own thing. And the final one that gets in God's way is just trusting him. It's, it's easy, it's a Sunday school answer to say we trust God. I trust God until it's hard, until it's difficult. And then it's becomes a, it becomes a whole different story. And so I want to go through these three things, this time, this precedent, and this trust, and take a look and see what God's word says and what are some things that we can do to be able to change our mind to make 2024 a different year because of seeking God. And so the very first one, let's look at time. I was telling you about schedules and about what does time look like. And uh, for some of you folks, your schedule may look like this, or maybe you keep it on a, you have a day timer, or maybe you have it on your phone, but there's things blocked off everywhere. And in fact, when you're seeing this, you, some people may be having a panic attack and trying to make some notes on the side of their sermon notes that say, these are three things I've already forgotten to do this morning that I wish I had, or two things I have to do. Or you may even be trying to slyly pull out your cell phone, pretending you're looking at your Bible and doing some work there. I'm fine with it either way. This is our, what our world is. It does these things to us. But look at the difference of what God says versus what we've created around us. I read recently, and I did not know this, and you can fact check it because I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to tell you what I read. I, it's the five-day work week was something that came up in the, in the 20s with Henry Ford. That's a, that's a new creation for our world. This 9 to 5, 8 to 4, 8 to 5, whatever it is, 6 to 3. But that five-day work week, that was something new. And in fact, whenever he first brought it out, it caused a riot among employees and families because it was changing the, changing the dynamic, changing the dynamic of the culture. And again, because I'm old, you know, it's, it's like the old, the old skits, like what, you only work 40 hours a week? What, are you part-time? You do those kind of things. But, so what does our calendar look like? What are these things? But God has this different idea here. In Matthew 6, Jesus' own words, he said, Seek first his kingdom. He's talking about his father. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This was Jesus talking. This is chapter 6. This is right after the Sermon on the Mount. It's in that same context. It's in that same, that same speaking. Jesus has gone through the Beatitudes, has gone through all these righteousness of living. And he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. well there's a little bit of extra context behind this, and it's from a Jewish standpoint. And the, as I was researching this, it, this was the easiest way that I, could, that I found where another commentator had put this together. He said, in the Jewish mindset, when you talk about the seeking and all these things we added as well, what they, the Jewish culture, they would look for this connectedness of things. And so the example that this commentator used, which I thought was really great, was a man was called before the king because he had done this great thing. And the king said, whatever you want, I will give to you as a reward. And the man thought, well, maybe I want to be a general in the army. Because if I'm a general in the army, I command all these things. All these people will do what I say. I get to travel, get to have all these things. I'm not the one who's actually going to be out there in the middle of the fighting. I get this prestige. I get all this stuff. He said, but I could earn that eventually when I get there. And so he said, what he, instead what he asked for was the hand of the king's daughter in marriage. Now, think of when we talk about this connectedness, because he asked for the king's daughter to be his wife, suddenly he's part of the royal family. He's at every royal function. He's going to be brought into the inner circle. He's going to be a person of confidence. He's going to be able to be a person of power, a person of influence, all these things, because the first thing he sought was the hand of the king's daughter that was there. And all these things were added to him. And so the context of this verse isn't just, hey, just focus on this one thing and everything's going to kind of work its way out. 
if you think of that same example I just gave you, God is saying, if you seek me first, if you seek after me, I'm going to add all these things to you, all of the great things. Think about every story from the Bible. Think about the prodigal son where the father says, all these things have been there for you through, since the beginning. You just never asked. You talk about how God has all of these things set up for us. That Jeremiah 29 verse, I have plans for you. This is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all of these things. And he's saying, if you seek me, this is what you get with it. It's not like, hey, just follow me. These things will just figure themselves out. It's because you are following me. This all gets to come with you. It's kind of like the old, it's the old 80s and 90s infomercials. But wait, there's more. There's all this extra stuff that comes in there. And so when you read through that, time starts to change a little bit because I, these, are what, these are those verses where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I'll seek God for about six, seven seconds between I'm running from the shower to my car or whatever those things are. What does that look like in there? And then get a little bit further in here. Story in Luke 10. It said a man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. The priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and you know the rest of this story, this is the good Samaritan story. The, if you've heard this, this passage preached before, you, you read through this, and you're like, oh, these guys are here. Well, the problem with the, with the priest and the Levite was that they were just too busy to do what God wanted. Because the t context of this story is if they had touched this man, this guy who had been beaten, and then they're unclean, and so they can't do their temple duties, and because of the route they're taking, more than likely they're on their way to go to work. They have things to do. But they said, oh, you know how much time that's going to take? Because if I touch this guy, then I got to go and do the ritual cleansing. I got to change my clothes. I got to wash. I got to do this. I got to bring an offering. I have all these things. And I got a message to teach. Or I've got stuff to do in God's temple. I'm too busy to go work for God to stop and help this man. That's the context behind this story. You lose these things as we talk about time and as we go in because I don't know how many times this happens in my day where you see somebody, you see something that's there, and you're like, oh, I should help them, but I'm too busy. And I don't even want to put on a calendar or a scoreboard how many times I'm too busy to do things for God. Too busy for quiet time. Too busy to read the Bible. Too busy to pray. Too busy to do this. Or I give it a half-hearted effort because I do it at the same time. You know, I'm listening to a, I'll listen to the Bible while I'm doing something else. Well, it's better than nothing. I'll give you that. But that's a whole different story than seek first and all these things are added to me as they come in. There was a quote from, from Abraham Lincoln. It was in one of Zig Ziglar's books. It said, if you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. I think there's some wisdom there. And I think this is a, a good realization of what God is telling us. Because if I had those six hours, how much more effective am I going to be chopping down that tree if I have a sharp axe versus just grabbing an axe and go? And I got to tell you, I'm not LinkedIn. I'm probably going to just pick up an axe and start running right after it. Six hours, okay, uh, hopefully I can get it done in three because I've already got other stuff I got to get done and go in. But as I thought about this quote and I thought about that, what would your day look like? What would that look like differently if you actually said, well, God's so important, I'm going to give him that time. And his promises are there. 
He says, if you seek him, all these things will be added. If you, if you give me my time, I will do it. And in fact, Jesus himself, in his examples, early in the morning, before Jesus did any ministry, he got off to a solitary place and prayed. Now, I know I, my work is super important in the world. Not really. But I probably think that Jesus' work was way more important than anything I do on a day-to-day basis. I mean, he's the son of God. He's coming to the creation that he helped make. He's bringing the message of salvation for eternity. He's, t- he's changing the entire world and the worldview of people. And he never looked at his calendar and went, oh, man, I wish I could do that, but I, I don't have enough time. Because do you know where I have to be? And in fact, there's great stories where the disciples and the apostles are like, where's Jesus? We've got work to do. There's things to be doing. And he's like, oh, I was off praying. I was off doing these things. He understood better than any of us because he's following right with, with his father. He's spent eternity with him, and he knows everything about him. And so his own example was to do this. But in, in our world, time is an enemy of that. But if you start to change your mind a little bit, then you can bring about something different, seeking God first in all of these things. The second big thing is precedent. I love this, this meme here. It says, you've seen this before? I, 11 times I've seen this before. That's my really bad Mr. Crab impersonation. I, I, we've seen it before. We've been here. If you drive the same route, I, it happened to me just the other day. I was driving with Melissa, and she goes, why are you turning here? I'm like, oh, because that's where I turn. I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be going straight. Just kind of, I've been here before. I just do what I know I need to do. Or I come into a situation. Oh, I know what needs to be done because I've seen this before. I've been here before. I've done this before. I already know the answer. I don't need to, it doesn't need to have a committee. I don't need to think about this a whole lot. I've been here. There's a lot of things that happen on a daily basis that we just wake up and do because we've been there, but there's choices and other things are before us. I think if we took a moment to seek God, we could see something different. And the best example I saw in scripture was Jesus and his healings. These are three different accounts of Jesus healing a blind man. And in this first one, it says, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to brought to him. This is blind Bartimaeus. This is, he's, Jesus is walking through town. This man is calling out to the disciples and other people like, be quiet. The teacher's trying to walk through. And that guy just starts screaming and yelling, Jesus, Jesus, because he knows who the Messiah is. And so Jesus stops and he says, bring that man to me. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And the man said, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. Jesus just said, see, and the guy did. In another story, there were two blind men, and they were following Jesus, and they were walking along, and, and Jesus, whenever he had stopped and he had gone indoors, the men came to him and said, heal us. And he said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said, yes. And so this time, Jesus touched their eyes and said, receive your sight. According to your faith, let it be done. And their sight was restored. Two different guys do this. Jesus didn't just do it the same way, and I don't think he was doing it just to show off. I think it was because there was something different that needed to happen in that context, and so Jesus, just because it was the same situation, same people, same idea, someone's blind, I know how to do this, but he did it differently because God had different plans in front of him. Another example is the is the man at the well, the the pool of Siloam, John 9. He said, would you heal me? Jesus said, after he heard this, Jesus spit on the ground, made mud, put it on the guy's eyes and said, go wash your eyes. And when he did, the man came home seeing. Three different times, three different stories, all healing a blind man. 
And so Jesus didn't just sit, stick to a script and go, oh, blind guy, got it. I know what to do. He, did, he changed it up. He did it differently. And again, it wasn't just because he was trying to show off and like, oh, watch, I can do this, or I can do it this way, or I can do it this way. It was because each of these were different. This whole idea of, with this man, he did that because this guy had to take a journey that he already knew, even though he was blind, he knew how to get there to this pool and walk through the streets. Now, I got to say, if I saw some guy walking through the street and he's got mud on his eyes and I know who he is, I've seen him before, it's going to probably grab my attention, Right? And I'm going to pay attention. And then when he washes off and he stands up, he can see. And the rest of the story is crazy because it, the, the Pharisees bring him in. They're like, who made it where you can see? And the people are scared. They're thinking, they're, oh, if we say it's Jesus, we're going to get kicked out of the temple. His own parents are like, I don't know. It is our son, but you can ask him what's going on. Don't get mad at us. It's all of this. But it was because Jesus wanted to show. In other places, it was very intimate. It was just with one person. In the other one with the two men, the other part of that story is that he said, now don't go tell anybody. Well, guess what? As soon as they could start seeing, they go through the whole countryside telling everybody about what he had done. The context was the same. The story was the same. The idea was the same, but Jesus saw it differently. Looked at something different than there. Another great example is in the, in the Old Testament. Whenever the Israelites, have, they've left Egypt and they're following Moses and they come to the promised land, Kadesh Barnea, they go across, they send the spies and they're like, oh, they're so, they're, they're so big, there's no way we can win this. And God says, fine, you're right, I'm taking you out, you can't, you can't go to the promised land. They wander for 40 years, Joshua gets raised up, they go back in and Jesus himself comes and talks to Joshua, gives him the battle plan of fighting Jer- Jericho to begin with, he says, walk around the city. And then the next time they go through, there's 30-something battles that are there in that Old Testament as they walk through and reclaim the, the promised land. And they didn't say the next one, oh, yeah, I know how to do this. We walk, around the t- we walk around the city. I already did this. No, every time, it says Joshua went and sought the Lord because sometimes they, had to, they destroyed all the buildings in the city. Sometimes they took certain spoils. Sometimes they had to kill different things or leave different things alive and do all this. Every time was different, and the only battle they lost was the one whenever they did not obey what God said. But every other time did it. But it was the same thing. It was, oh, we're God's army. We're God's people. We're going in here. But they didn't just say, oh, I've already seen this. I've already read this. I'm going to do it this same way. Seeking him differently every time. And so the, the, this, the burden of precedent makes us think we already know what to do because I've already been there. Or what's even worse is, is I've already been there and it, this worked. So that's the way I'm going to keep doing it. It's like the stories of taking the same route every day, and then you figure out, oh, well, there's a better way. I didn't know. Or the way to do a certain task. Oh, I didn't know. But what if we just ask God, what do you want to do? What are those there? Because his promise, and it's from Jeremiah 33, God's promise says, if you'll call to me, I will answer, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Great things that are there, different ways of looking at the world, different ways of approaching, things that you've never known because these are hidden things. And God didn't say, I'm hiding these because I don't want you to know them. He said, I want you to ask me. And And it's good for this context. It's good for the time. It's good for the day. It's good for this particular thing. That's the example that God lays out before us. But if we don't ask, we don't hear. It doesn't work that way. And then finally, trust. Not trusting God or trusting God. The, I've, I've never been bungee jumping before, but I think that there's a lot of trust that's involved in bungee jumping because I'm going to tie this giant rubber band to my feet 
and jump off over something that, from a height that would kill me, over something that if I hit it will kill me. But I trust this giant rubber band is going to come, it's going to catch me, it's going to stretch out, and I'm going to fling back up, and I'm going to be safe, and all these things are going to be good, and eventually I'll stop, and then I'll be able to, to get off, and people will save me and pull me up. That's a lot of trust. I was, when I was in college, we were down in Florida with some of my friends, and we, we were at an amusement park, and we did a V-swing. It's these, you're, you're in a harness, and there were three across, and you, when, they, when they put it up, you're, you're actually horizontal. But there's these two gigantic cables that are attached to these towers that come down to this swing. And the idea is, is that they hook this, they hook this uh, rope to your back, well, as a cable, and they pull you up. And so you go all the way up to the pinnacle. And I was the guy in the middle, so I had the release cord. Because when you get up there, you have to release yourself because it makes it more fun. And so it's got the release cord. You pull it, and you go, shoo, super fast. You're going to fly down, and you're, you're horizontal because now that's going to make it like you're flying because you're just flying down through, and you go up, and then eventually gravity takes care of it, and you slow down, and then they'll, they'll catch you and take you down. So me and my friends were like, oh, we're going to do this. This is great. And there were two guys. I'm in the middle. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pull this. And this ride attendant, this wasn't his first rodeo. He thought it was fantastic because my buddy is talking all about, you know, I'm not even going to scream, all this stuff. And I'll never forget this. As they, they put that cable on our back and start pulling, the ride attendant turns around, and he's got some nuts and bolts in his hand. And they're gargantuan. He goes, oh, man, where did these come from as we're getting pulled up? So I know it's a joke because they're not going to stop. The guy next to me is freaking out. And he's like, Bill, don't pull that, don't pull that cord. I said, what do you mean? He goes, don't pull it. I said, well, we, we, we paid money to be here. When we get up to the top, pull it. He said, well, pull it now. I said, why now? He's like, we're closer to the ground, so that way if something goes wrong, we won't be in trouble. I'm like, no, man, we're going for the full ride. I'm going to wait until it goes all the way up. And, yeah, he did scream like a girl the whole time that was there. I, it was a really fun story. It was before things were posted on the Internet, or I promised I would pull you up because I'm sure it would be viral somewhere. But when we got down... I, I pulled that cord because I trusted this guy was playing a joke because I was pretty sure if he really found stuff there that didn't belong, he would probably stop it. He would say, hey, you shouldn't do this. But I trusted it. There's no re And it's the dumbest thing. I mean, I've tied myself to this giant cord with my buddies, and so now we're just going to swing off into the abyss. But it'll work, sure. But I don't trust God that way. I don't seek after him. Proverbs 3 calls us to. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. God wrote it down. He called it. He says, if you will, if you will trust him, lean not on your own understanding, but follow him, he will do all these things. But I don't. And you know why I don't? It's because of this. Because I know if I pray to God and I tell him I trust him, he's going to send me off on some mission trip into the middle of Africa, tell me to sell everything, give him all my money, and I got nothing left. I know that's going to be God's prayer, his answer to my prayer. And I don't want that. I don't trust that. I'm scared of that. But yet some of our folks in here, their missionaries are like, heck yeah, let's go. I'm ready. God, call me. I'm there. Well, the truth is God's not going to call all of us to do that. But God does say all of these things are his. All of these pieces are his. But I don't trust him because I don't trust him with the outcome. I don't trust that what he wants to do for me is always going to be what's best for me. And it's the, this verse from Romans, which gets quoted a lot. It says, we know that, those, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's some big trust. 
We know that those who love God, those people who have commit, committed themselves to God, and not just by, by mouth, but by, with their heart, say, I trust God, then all these things work together for good, call it according to his purpose. But that's God's good. That's God's plan. That's not my plan. Because good things that God does for us don't always sound good to us. And I was thinking about this. Steve, since it's your birthday, I'll use you in the sermon as well. So I remember Steve Dill saying, I praise God for my stroke. He said it out loud, and he meant it. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Because I know the stuff that Steve went through with that stroke. I know what his family went through. I know where those were. I don't really see, I praise God for my stroke in there. But the other stories in there, you want to see a man witness to a chaplain inside of a hospital? Happened in Steve's room more than once. Every person that walked in, do you know how many hundreds of people probably heard the gospel from Steve and from his testimony and the things that are around there? That may have never seen it or seen faith in action like that. Well, that's eternity. That's a bigger picture than what I have. But at the end of the day, you know how also I remember about Steve's story? Praise God for green beans. Because green beans was one of the first pieces of solid food Steve got to eat after a couple of months. He didn't even get to eat birthday cake last year. That's crazy. So I think of those things. And so when I hear, oh, I trust God. and He'll work all these things for my good. I just don't know if the good that God has is a good that I want if I'm being honest. But if I trust him, he says it's going to be way better than anything I can do. Because it happens, right? It happens. As adults, we find this with our children, with other people. Yes, this is the, this is the bad part. It stinks. It stinks grinding through this. But trust me, the other side is going to be worth it. You know, it's the hiking up the hill. It's the drive that's, that takes there. It's the the long vacation travel and all the delays and all the things that are in there, but you get there and you're like, what? On our honeymoon, Melissa and I, we went to Jamaica for our honeymoon and it was, a, it was a, just a mess the whole day of trying to get down there. Our flights were delayed. We, we had a huge layover in the airport. We finally get to Jamaica. It's pitch dark outside. We land like in the middle of a field or something, I'm pretty sure, because we had to walk from the airport to get to someplace. We get to our hotel room doesn't look exactly like the pictures, believe it or not. We get in there, and we paid, I remember we paid extra for this ocean view. And we could hear an ocean, and we're like, Psh, we've had such a crappy day to get here. I bet the ocean is like one of those, like you can see it like right between these two slots of a building or something that was there. Oh, man, we woke up the next morning. All we could see was ocean from our balcony. It was suddenly a whole different world. <laughs> we're like, oh, wow, <laughs> there's a lot here. And we didn't think, we never talked about the rest of the, that whole trip, about the, the cruddy time that it took for us to get there, the, the hours and hours of layovers and, and bumped flights and all of the mess that went with it, because the reward was worth it, and we trusted. Now, if you had said, I'm going to go through this to get there, I still would have, I don't know if I would have agreed with you, but I can tell you from the results that it happened. And this verse here, God is encouraging us. Those who are called according to his purpose, these things are good. He's calling us to trust him. In, John, in 1 John chapter 5, it says that if we, this is a confidence. If we ask anything according to God's will, he will hear us. 
So the other part about this is that God doesn't just say, I have these things laid out for you. Good luck with that. Hope you figure out the path. God says, I've laid out the path, and I'll also tell you how to get there, and I'll walk with you along every spot of it. Isaiah 41 says, fear not, I am with you. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Don't be confused. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Nowhere in here does it say, check your calendar, make sure that you've planned this. Hey, I've already showed you this before. Pay attention to this. God says, I will be right with you with my right hand. I will hold you. I will be there. God himself holding your hand and guiding you through. That's a whole lot different of a journey of life than just saying, here's a map. Good luck. Or just drive down a little bit. You know, when you get past the barn, take a left and it'll be back there a little bit. Look for the stump. It's not a treasure map. It's not those kind of things. Instead, God's saying, I'll be right here with you, holding your hand, guiding you. And if God is good, and God has said that you were worth sending his son to die for, and that God has a plan for eternity with you celebrating with him, then you can believe this is true, that he will actually hold you and walk with you in all of your day. And so this is what that looks like. I told you my resolution is I want to hear God. I want to trust God as much as I trust my GPS. This verse from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, and the whole chapter is amazing, but this one verse here says, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the left, or sorry, to the right or to the left. God says he'll be your GPS. He will actually talk to you and tell you where to go. Just like I do in my car when I'm driving, the GPS says, in 500 feet, take the exit, turn here, do this. God's saying, if you will put your trust in me, I will lead you constantly. I will hold you by your hand. I will tell you to turn to the left or to the right. And he, said, and he doesn't say that just because it's your plan, he won't help you. He won't go in. He will not prosper you. But what he says is, what if you ask me for the route? So better than the GPS, God says, I already know where you're going. You just want to ask me? I'll get you there. And so as I wrap up here, quick quickly three things that we can do three applications from something like this is how do we get there what does that look like well the first one start the habit pray when you wake up before your feet even hit the ground when your alarm goes off in the morning if you're a snooze button person like i am take one snooze off of the off of the agenda for that morning so instead of hitting it twice maybe you just hit it once give them that first couple of minutes before you get out of bed before you check your phone for whatever you do whatever your morning routine is before your feet get out of bed just give a moment God, I commit this day to you. Will you tell me what I need to do? Will I be sensitive to you? And will you guide me? Super easy. And the, if you keep in that, power, that path, God will continue to, un, and then that time will get longer and longer. And then we can start talking about fun quotes like the, the one from Lincoln, where if he said, oh, I've got six hours to do this. I'm going to spend the first four hours sharpening my axe. Man, I got a super busy day today. I have so many things. I have to get up even earlier because I need to make sure I spend time with God so that he can guide my steps today and that my heart is already set. The second one, recognize when decisions are around you. Don't fall into that trap of precedent. Ask God, what do you want me to do? Just like the Israelites, just like Jesus, just like these things. God, what do you want me to do? I've seen this before. What do you want? How can I, how can I follow your will? Do you have something extra for me? Do you have something here that you can listen? And finally, the third one, pray with other people. I mean, at the end of the day, whenever you, when you talk about this, you could tell somebody or you could think, well, that was cool. That was a good message. I like that one. I can do that. 
put it into practice. And how much easier is it to pray with other people? Because in that way, it doesn't feel like you're the one who's doing it. You're doing it for somebody else. So if my friend Ignacio, he's telling me about something, I, Bill, I just don't know what to do here. I can, instead of me just saying, well, you know, seek God. That's what you need to do. What if I prayed with him? And so let's seek God together. Let's pray for this. Well, now I'm encouraging him because I'm passing on this idea of seeking God on these things. Plus, it's going to encourage my heart because someone has asked me, but I just have to take that time. I don't want to be like the Levite or the priest. It's too busy because my schedule has so many things I can't stop and see people around me. I don't want to be so busy that I just do some half-hearted attempt at, at giving God his part, his peace in this. Instead, I want to encourage others by doing it. And man, what a year it would be for us if we all had our own God GPS talking to us and saying, go here, go there. Because as the world continues around us, knowing how to navigate, knowing what to do, knowing where to be, where not to be, knowing where, where we should go and what not to go, it's easy for my heart and my flesh to go ahead and make those decisions. But if I leave it to God, I can guarantee you, because he said that his, we were worth it, that his path and his plan is way better than anything that we can go on our own. And so my prayer for you for this, for this 2024 is that God will be your guide, whatever your resolution is. It could be I need to, to go on a diet. I need to go to the gym. I need to do this more, do this less, do, go here, go there, change this, stop doing this, whatever it is. I pray that God is the one that leads us to that and that we don't start by putting ourselves there and putting that in front of us. Oh, and that is my prayer. I'm going to pray for us as we approach communion. And Charles, I'll go ahead and invite you in. So as we approach communion, this was God, this was Jesus' own way of putting it. Because if you think about it, as Jesus approached communion, it was with that same idea of I'm going to show you a pattern. I want to show you seeking me in these things. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you that your word is true. And we thank you that uh, you have shown us over and over that your love for us is real and is not just for some game or something that you rely on us, Lord. But thankfully, you do all these things apart from us. You do all these things in your glory and in your power. And Father, I ask today that as we come to this new year, this time of new beginnings, that we will stop and seek you, Lord, that we will begin to seek you in all things in all ways. And Lord, that we will trust you. Lord, that we will be able to put our hearts to you because things in this world and the things that happen to us, Lord, I can't put in the category of good all the time. But you say that you will work these things for our good because we love you and because you love us. Lord, let us be your people. Let us praise you in all things. And Lord, let us be still and quiet so that we will hear your voice behind us telling us this is the way, whether to the right or to the left. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.